You're listening to the Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast with Terrence Murphy, where we cover sales, investing, and entrepreneurship with an emphasis on real estate. Each podcast, Terrence and his guests will bring you informative and inspiring information within the real estate industry. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Today, my guest is Ari Rastegar, founder and CEO of Rastegar Property Company. He's earned a reputation as a thought leader in the real estate space with his innovative technology-driven investment strategies. He specializes in recession-resilient real estate assets, multifamily, real estate developments, building portfolios designed to reduce risk and maximize capital appreciation potential. Welcome to the show today. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Man, I'm excited about my guest today. We were just talking about him being an Aggie, so that's always a big deal. Y'all know that. But I start off with a quote every time. And so this one's real quick. Everyone looks at the cost of a book, a course, or a coach, but nobody considers the cost of being in the same place one year from now. So one of the one of the things that we try to focus is we bring in these amazing minds, these people that are really leading in the real estate industry, which is why we call it real estate entrepreneur. So I'm excited to have a guest today, Ari. He's a class of 2004 from Texas A&M. Welcome, welcome to the show, bro. I appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, man, I'm going to get into what you're doing, man. But just tell me, tell me your story real quick in a, in a couple sentences. And how did you become this real estate entrepreneur that you, that you are today? Just walk me through your story. Yeah, I mean, look, my, my parents, my parents are immigrants. My dad was Iranian immigrant after the revolution in Iran. You know, my family was, look, everybody in my dad's side of the family has PhDs and doctorates and this, that, and the other. But after the revolution, you know, they ended up in Austin, Texas. My family was studying down at UT in St. Edwards and luckily kind of made it out. They killed our whole family and had to kind of start it over from scratch. And man, delivered pizzas through college, was flipping burgers in high school and got into got into law school and used my scholarship money and borrowed 3000 bucks from one of my friend's fathers that I went to A&M with. And you know, now we've, you know, I mean, I think you've done done your homework now. We've been in Forbes, the Wall Street Journal. We have hundreds of millions of assets. And, you know, our investors are public pension funds, family offices, insurance companies, athletes, celebrities, you name it, we run the gambit. We've invested in 38 cities, 12 states, seven asset classes, and exited successfully. We're raising about a billion dollars this year to do another four billion in acquisitions over the next 18 months and killing the game. Nothing. <laughs> Started from nothing and just good old fashioned hard work and a little bit of providence and luck and had a little bit of the wind in my back being born and born in Austin, which is, you know, arguably the hottest real estate market in the country. And yeah, I mean it's and so there's you know, there's a lot of luck there, a lot of fortune that kind of a lot of providence that helped aid that. But you know, anyone that knows me knows I'm, you know, twenty eight hours a day, eight days a week, you know no vacations, 20 years. Right. And so, you know, there's no substitute for that level of hard work as, as you well know, you know, as an athlete and as a successful entrepreneur yourself, but as an investment manager or risk manager in my core business, you know, and being an entrepreneur are really two different things, you know, running a business is kind of one skill set. you know, that I've come to learn when it was just me sitting in a 200 square foot little office working on legal documents, I'm a recovering attorney, <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, but my bar is still good sta- in good standing and only because my dad makes sure that it is, you know, he's a lawyer also. And, 
you know, and just balancing that act between, you know, risk managing and, you know, making, making good investments on behalf of our investors and being an entrepreneur and running a business. Because like I said, they're two totally different skill sets. And mm-hmm. I kind of learned how to ride a bike by, by riding a bike. Yep. You know, spent many years on Wall Street, you know, but when I was in law school, I started the company building single family homes, you know, pouring concrete, tying rebar, putting up sheetrock at five o'clock in the morning, you know, rushing to law school and work boots and, Maybe you know, that. just, just got on it, man. You know, yeah. and I guess the difference between me and them is I just, every time I got kicked in the teeth, I just didn't stop. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we got a lot in common when it comes to that. I mean, the flipping the burgers and growing up with a single mom in one of the toughest neighborhoods in East Texas and just not hearing no, like I didn't, I never heard. No. I don't know what that word means. No, exactly. Yeah. So, and and the cool thing is my wife gives me a hard time. She actually went to UT, but she said there's less than 1% of the world's population of people like you and me. And really trying to find that tribe is always tough. Cause once I got out of ball, it's like, man, I was just so used to being around the best of the best of the best. And it was, it was a transition. So Let's slow it down, man. I, I mean, dude, I want to unpack some of this stuff. So you you, you graduated A and M, yeah. In 04. Then you go straight to law school. Well, actually, I didn't. So I graduated. So I did a study abroad in Mexico while I was at A and M. Did a reciprocal exchange program, so the grades would come back. And I was actually an English major in undergrad. So I don't know, you know, what an English major was doing at Texas A and M, but you know. I guess it is what it is. And I didn't get straight into AM though, man. And so a lot of people, you know, they look at success, you look at Instagram, you look at all these things, you see people, you know, showing all these things, but they don't see the hustle that came behind it and, and the work that came. But I didn't get into AM straight up. I had to go to Richland Community College in Dallas for a semester and then got into Blinn, which those of y'all that know AM, you know, Blinn is kind of the community college that kind of feeds into A&M. So if you have above, uh, you know, I don't know what it is now, but around a 3.5 GPA, you can kind of transfer, you know, into A&M. You know, afterwards, I was fortunate to be able to do that. And I graduated in December, actually, of 04, and went and sold cars so I could save up enough money to start law school in August down in San Antonio. And I started my real, my first real estate investment company you know, with the rest of my scholarship money and that $3,000 loan when I was in law school. And I was kind of a, you know, mediocre law student. You know, I was just kind of, you know, knew what I wanted to do with my life. And that was a big blessing of knowing that, you know, I wanted to be in real estate. It was something my grandfather wanted for me, who I was very close with. And, and so I finished law school, but, you know, about my third year, you know, we were building a bunch of houses and I thought I was going to walk away with a big bag. And oh, wait. That it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, and uh, um, luckily I had a great partner that, you know, had the liquidity and, you know, was able to, you know, he just basically gave me my money back and my investors money and said, look, you'll have good credit. I'll sign on the loans. And he ended up selling the stuff later on and making a bunch of money and kind of promised myself that I'd figure out how this happened, why it happened and find a better way to do it and went to New York City and was very fortunate to work around some of the greatest minds in the business because my wrestling coach growing up, and I was kind of a shitty wrestler, but that's another discussion. <laughs> um, but you know, but my coach, his cousin, was the head of Credit Suisse and mm. was one of the most famous, you know, lenders in the history of Wall Street. And him and I kind of sat down, and my coach kind of vouched for me. They're both Italian, and moved me to New York, man, and kind of gave me a shot. 
and put me in the room with, I mean, literally the biggest names in the whole world, you know, in this yeah. business. And I did whatever, man, carried bags, picked up for kids, you know, like whatever I could do yeah. to bring value, just I create value. And that's, that's a mandate that we live by at Rastigars. We don't look at, you know, the appraised value or hoping the wind's behind us. It's about creating value and, mm-hmm. you know, you know, being obsessed with our cons- with, with our consumers, whether that's our tenants, for the, that's our investors, and you know, doing what's right by them first and foremost, and you know, living by that cadence or that ethos of contribution, and you know, then I'm the father of three, three beautiful children, and ages one one to eight, and as each one of them came along, you know, my ego kind of got checked more and more, and started to build an organization that I'm really proud of at a cultural level. You know, we're a highly diverse group that come from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of just really smart people. And, you know, I like sitting in rooms where I'm the dumbest guy in the room because I got a lot to learn, right? You got two yep. years in my mouth. So yeah. Love it. Yeah. And so we just kept it gunning and I had some people that, you know, really believed in me and honestly believed in me more than I believed in myself. And and backed me and I found some stuff. They knew I was running the numbers. I could kind of always do the math in my head, but in my heart, I was always an artist, you know, yeah. whether that's building beautiful buildings, whether that's, you know, just seeing what could be and finding a better way to do things. You know, we own, we're one of the largest owners in Austin now, probably soon to be the largest owner. And I never sold equity at the company level. I retained 100% ownership at the corporate level which is a little bit unique. Very unique. Very unique. I wanted to, I wanted to do it the right way. You know, I wanted to do it a way that, you know, or, you know, the way that I thought was was the right way. And yeah. Yeah, so let's talk let's let's talk about that, all right? I mean, that's that's good stuff. So like when you were at the corporate side of Wall Street, what would you say when you got thrown in the game? What were some of your top top three takeaways from being up there in New York and just being around those minds that you transferred into what you're doing today in real estate? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the good and the bad because, you know, a lot of times some of the greatest lessons you learn is what not to do. Right. And a lot of times we're focused on what we could do and being around those minds. I learned just a lot of great things about how to underwrite real estate, how to look at it, how to run stress tests, how to find out, you know, what could go wrong, which was a great blessing. But then you know, just seeing, just kind of being disenfranchised by how Wall Street sees people as, you know, really a number on a page more than anything. And, you know, I'm a deeply kind of personal, spiritual guy, and I wanted to have a more human connection, mm-hmm. not only with the assets, with our tenants, with our staff, with our investors. And, and that's really why I started my shop. And I didn't want to raise my kids in New York. Although I you know, have a lot of love for New York City and the relationships I built there on the banking side, on the brokerage side have been instrumental in allowing us to grow to the size that we have. But, you know, but I wanted to be, I wanted to be back home and Google Fiber had just installed, spent a billion dollars in hardware in 2013. And they picked Austin as their beta city. And I kind of just thought, well, the biggest data in the company in the, in the world is spending a billion dollars. I saw the writing on the wall and, you know, we started buying stuff when people thought we were crazy and <laughs> not, not anymore. <laughs> now, now, now we're looking kind of smart, I guess, you know, yeah. which was shocking, but I lifted my head up one day. I was like, Oh my God, we built a pretty big business and we've done right by our people. And, 
built a culture where people want to work with us. They want to work, you know, work for us. And, and that's the thing that I'm really, really the most proud of. Like if anything is that, you know, we have a culture where people can speak up and they can talk and they can challenge us and challenge me with research and, you know, kind of check my ego and just say, look, let's find the right answer. I don't need to be right. Like, I I don't like, I don't need to be right. You don't need a bunch of yes, man. Yeah. No, nah, but I but I don't want it to be about me. Like it's about the business. Like I want the building to get the notoriety, not Ari. Like, yeah, my name's yeah. on the door, but I put my name on the door because that was what my grandfather wanted, you know, and he would tell me, he said, Look, you put your name on the door, give you your kids something to be proud of. And if there ever comes a moment where you want to be like those Wall Street sharks, you just remember that's your grandpa's name and that's your great grandfather's name. And you know, just stay true to, you know be true to the man that you are and yeah you know and i have a you know i'm not a saint by any stretch of the imagination but you know the people that know me they know that i love hard i'm loyal and you know our chief architect you know at our firm that's in house we've been friends 30 years you know a lot of very deep relationships that go in that go into what we do and that brotherhood and just building your tribe and like knowing who your people are and who share your same core values and surrounding yourself with highly believable people that are going to challenge you. And yeah. you know, it's, I smile when I figure out that I'm wrong or I looked at a deal some way and I thought, Hey, maybe we figured it out. And one of the analysts, one of the team members were like, Hey, did you think about this? And I'm like, nah, I didn't. And you would think that, you know, maybe Ari 10 years ago might, might not have liked that, but, you know, but Ari today is smiling, thinking, dang, man, I'm so glad you caught that. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a culture where, you know, everybody really has a voice and, you know, and it's, it's good. I mean, there's always, you know, look, they call it work for a reason. There's always mud that you're, you know, my grandpa used to say, you know, if you pray for the rain, you got to deal with the mud. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, the part of it and failure is part of it. You know, my book comes out in June. That's called "The Gift of Failure," and yeah, and it's you know whatever humble success that I've had in my life has has really taught me nothing. You know, it's all I feel is that you know that voice in the back of my mind of that little arrogance peeking up or wanted to thought we did do something, but you know, life isn't tennis. I mean, it's team sports, man. You know, like you have. You have people playing all these different positions that culminate into it. And I'm not trying to be an MVP. I just want to race, you know, you know, and that's, and that's a big difference. You know, I, I do my part. I'm, you know, I'd like to believe that I know what I'm pretty good at. And there's folks on our team that are a hundred times better than me at their positions. And, you know, and that's just what it is. You got to kind of know your position, know your lane, know your superpower, stay in it and just, and surround yourself by great people. Right. You know, the quarterback, you know, can't, can't also be the wide receiver. Right. You know, it's, you know, like you need a, like you need a team and, and that's really the, that's really a beautiful thing when, when people unite towards a common goal. Yes. So let's talk about that. So when you, a couple of things you mentioned earlier, different asset classes. So you leave wall street and then you move back to Austin, you got the babies, you got the family. It's a better atmosphere, um, better town. And nothing against New York. It's a great place, but it's just, it's a, it's a lot going on. So when you first started your fund, did you do syndication first or you just went right into private equity and raised the fund? Tell me about that. Oh, well, I, didn't, I didn't go that fun kind of route. You yeah, know, tell I, me that I was, route. I was working on deals. You yeah. know, I was always, I was always a deal guy, you know, yeah. and 
you know, a lot of the people that I knew that were high net worth investors or institutions or relationships that I built, you know, they knew I was the guy kind of behind the spreadsheet doing the work. And I had the blessings from my bosses when I went out to do my stuff. And ironically enough, a lot of my bosses are my investors today, you know? So, and so I just started off, you know, partnering with great developers. You know, I didn't want to go off on my own and just start doing deals and raising funds. And I wanted to really lower risk because my deal was never to make the most money. Like you'll never hear like when we're in an investment committee, no one's allowed to talk about making money. We only talk about ways that we could potentially lose money. And so, so my cadence, if you want to go make 10 times your money or something like that, I'm not your guy. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm a singles and doubles, you know, capital (laughs) preservation guy. Like, you know, you know, I'm a, my rule is don't lose money. Yep. And that's always been my main focus. And I want people to come to me for safety. And I'm not a magician, man. Like I don't have a crystal ball and deals that I thought were going to make a bunch. They didn't, they made a little bit, you know, or took longer and things go wrong. And, but just keeping that, you know, brutal level of radical transparency and honesty with your people and just saying, look, I'm going to make the best decisions I can with the best information that I have, but variables change. And just being very forthright in that, not only with your partners, but with yourself, you know, people fall in love with deals. They fall in love with, you know, maybe an idea that they have and trying to be, I don't want to say unemotional because I hate when people say that it's just business because I don't think there's any more personal than business. I hate that. I hate that line too. I hate that line. It's just like, what do you mean? Like we're in business. Like I'm like, we have money together or like with your coworkers, you spend more time with your coworkers than you do with your family. So don't tell me that's just business. Like that's, that's, that's nonsense, man. Like there's nothing more personal than being in the trenches with, with the people that you care about, that you respect, that you're doing things with, that are spending time away from their family and their loved ones. Uh, you know, answering emails at two o'clock in the morning. And, and so to me, it was very personal, very, yeah. very, very personal. And that was, no, you know, that makes sense. Really yeah. So when you, when you, so you just kind of focused on the deals, right? And yeah. And partnering with great operators. Like that was yeah. my first thing because I had access to a lot of deal flow because of New York to yeah. where I wanted to say, Hey, if you know, you know, if Jim or Jane, whatever has some great deal and, Dallas or something, I'm not going to go operate it, run it, do everything. If I have some scratch, I'm going to go invest alongside, even if it's a little piece, right? As you know, a a limited partner or cheap co GP or as a loan and just really learn. So I spent Mm -hmm. the first, you know, several years of my career just partnering to start learning. And really, that's how we got into. 38 cities, 12 states. It wasn't that I was in all those states doing all that work. It was that the partners and strategic relationships were in those areas and they knew those markets cold. So we were a small piece of, you know, some of these bigger deals. But then we exited from them and, you know, started to, you know, make some money for for ourselves and for our clients. And little by little transitioned as you kind of manage the risk into being an owner operator. And now we're fully integrated. We have our own construction teams, our own property management, our own operations. But that took years to iterate into, even though I come from a construction background. Like I come yeah. from corn concrete and tie and rebar when it's other people's money and my own. And hundred percent of my net worth is in my business. You know, yeah. like I invest, I invest in me, you know, yeah. good, bad, or indifferent. 
you know, but yeah. that's, you know, I'm my most important asset and it's why I take, you know, health and wellness and personal development. I've had a life coach for 10 years, you know, to help me, you know, stay true to that personal integrity. I'm big Tony Robbins guy, Napoleon Hill. I'm a crazy reader, bro. Like anybody yeah. that knows me knows that I'm 10, 15 books a week for 20 years, 25 years. A week? A week. Wow, bro. So give me your hack on how you, where do you find the time to read 10 to 15 books a week? bro? Well, that's the wrong line of questioning. The reading is the work. Mm. The reading is the work. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's, that's where you invest in your time. I'm investing my time in, in learning and being curious and mm. reading all sorts of stuff from reading the classics, from reading Tolstoy and Shakespeare, all the way to reading, you know, this beautiful book called Wintering that came out recently by Catherine May. That's incredible to some of the new contemporary stuff all the way to personal development. But yeah, no cap. I'm, I'm reading, you know, five, 10, 15, 20, you know, 15 books a week. I love it, bro. And I always Shit. have, and I have, and I literally, I thought my one book a week was killing it. <laughs> it's relative, right? But like, no, again, reading is a skill. Reading is a skill. Yeah. And remember I was yeah. an English major and an attorney. So, mm-hmm. you know, the time it takes me to read a book and I read with a pen and, you know, very, you know, active reading, you know, the more you read, the better you get at it. Right. So like, you know, I'll talk to my wife about this and, you know, it'll take her, you know, two weeks to get through a book and she's reading whatever, and I can read it in two hours. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm also 25,000 books in. Yeah. Right. So it was a trade, like, and that's what people don't think about really like, Oh, I get so tired when I read or I suck at reading. It's like saying, well, you suck at being a plumber. It's like, well, you have sharpen your skill. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, like, it's a skill. Yep. Yep. No, I love it, bro. Wow. That's cool. So on the asset classes, talk to me when you, when you came back, cause there's so many moving pieces, right? There's, there's so many different asset classes. You said five to seven, where, where did you start and how did you kind of build the different asset classes over time? Yeah, I did a lot in self-storage and at the time self-storage people weren't looking at as much. And I'm very much a contrarian investor and people are going left. I'm kind of going right you know, during COVID, we did, we closed on 11 deals during COVID. Self-storage? No, this is, I'm just saying, I'm like that, like during COVID, we did 11 deals when the world was doing zero. Yeah, they were unwinding deals. And I was in back in 2015, 16, when people weren't even thinking about self-storage. At one point, we were invested in like 17 different self-storage projects, but then everybody started doing self-storage, so I sold out my position. So when people are, you know, are, you know, sellers in a certain market, I'm a buyer, right? And that's just been typically the way I've seen seen the world of being very long-sided being very patient. And I look at everything on my kid's timeline, man, like my one-year-old, my five-year-old, my eight-year-old, and, you know, just being being patient capital. But I was doing self-storage when no one was, and everybody started doing self-storage. It was the hot thing to do. Then I was out. Then I invested in a bunch of retail that was like Target and TJ Maxx and Ross and things like that. Then Amazon started banging. And when I saw that happen in 2016, 17, I sold all those positions. And you know, and now people are kind of poo-pooing retail. I'm looking back at it again, thinking it overcorrected. And there's a way to create new immersive retail experiences that combine technology, you know, looking like a top golf kind of thing. We're big into machine learning and artificial intelligence and very much a data data technology company as much as we are a real estate company. Yep. To just make more informed decisions. But we do a ton of multifamily renovations like class b class c type stuff 
you know, we use the term vintage multifamily a lot mm-hmm. because vintage kind of talking about wine is like class A locations, but you know, 30, 40 year old product that needs some yeah. tender love care that we got renovate down to the down to the studs, make them class A interiors, and we can charge less rent than the new construction across the street. So back to that creating value for your end consumer to where you know, they walk in our units, see the same finish out to the one across the street and it's 30% cheaper, you know, and you're still, you know, in the yeah. same proximity, more or less, you know, people are looking for value more. And your basis is down. Yeah. And your yeah. basis is a lot lower because you're buying at a discount replacement cost. Love it, bro. Self-storage, retail, multifamily, obviously industrial. Office industrial, like we have 50 acres next to Tesla's new 2000 acre gigafactory. We're building 600,000 square feet of industrial. Several Fortune 500 companies want to take the space. We have 320 acres just south of Austin that we're building an entire community. I mean, you're talking 1,200 homes, 900 multi units, commercial, and we're calling it futuristic suburbanism of just the new way of how people are going to live, redesigning interior architecture. Like, for example, you know, when we were growing up, you know, you had a dining room. Well, mm-hmm. you know, dining room is like a fake room now. No one goes in the dining room. People eat in Nobody. the kitchen. Yeah. So redesigning the architecture to make the kitchens larger and that island larger. And, and again, fulfilling the needs of what that end consumer is going to be and using technology to enable them, you know, opening up your phone, your doors with your phone, iris scanning. You know, and really just using the power of technology to create a better standard of living. Bro, we got to talk, man. That's crazy because our construction company, Murphy Signature Homes, we're doing that literally in College Station. Like my architects, are, my architects are all in Austin. Cornerstone, you've probably heard of Dick Clark Architecture. And so, yeah, we got to connect, man. I would love to talk to you about that offline for sure. Anytime you reach out, well, I'd be glad to talk with you. If you're in Austin, you'd be my guest, man. Like, yeah, you know, that's, that's my city. Yeah, and then obviously when you come home, I got you down here. So I got you. You know what, man? I'm, I haven't been back to college station since the day I walked the stage. Wow, you got to come back then. Maybe not for, once. Maybe for yeah, the next. By the way, I was so poor when I graduated, I couldn't even afford a ring, and I still never bought one. We got to get your Aggie ring, bro. <laughs> yeah, but I think we need to get that. We we need to put it on the list. My, you know, my wife was saying it the other day, but I just I didn't have any money, bro. I I was I owed fifteen hundred bucks to pay my final tuition to release my transcripts and. You know, one of my one of my buddies who was a couple of years ahead of me is starting to make a little bit of bread, and he came to visit us and paid my final bills. So my they'd released my transcripts and went on the car lot and started selling cars for about six seven months to save on money, and you know, and then then started it, man. So there was yeah, there was there there was no days off. Like no, nah, I love it, bro. We got a lot in coming, man. And I know we're running short on time, so I got a couple other questions for you. You still got some time? Yeah, let's um, go. So AUM, where are you at now? Where are you at on AUM in the business? I don't even count it. I don't even count it, man. Yeah. It's, not, it's in the hundreds of millions, but the thing about it is that a lot of it is land. I mean, you're talking about 500 acres of undeveloped land, not to mention all the multifamily that we own are covered land plays that we're going to redevelop, re-entitle, and tear down eventually. So once everything's fully developed, we're probably about $3.5 billion. That's awesome, bro. And then and then yeah. once we raise another billion, billion and a half in equity this coming year or so, we'll buy another four. I mean, my my think it my guess is probably in the next 18 to 24 months we'll be at about 10 billion. That's awesome, dog. 
So what did your team look like, man? As you've grown this company, like you said, obviously when you started, it was just just you. How did you scale your team? Because we talked about it earlier. It's different skill sets, the entrepreneurial side of you, but also the side of running, the like running an organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how, what did your of, team look like? A lot of mistakes, a lot of shuffling. You know, a lot of people yeah. that thought were good and they came in, came out. We recently hired a gentleman named Neil Golden that was the vice chairman of Newmark, you know, a publicly traded company, enormous company. He became the president of the company about a month ago, and he's brought in some of the smartest people in the world. They followed him. You know, he's a 25-year vet. His dad was a Trammell Crow. You know, it's in his blood, and he was a mentor of mine on Wall Street. We stayed really close, but he went to UT, so he really knows Austin. And, and Austin is kind of like our prototype city, so I kind of built different verticals. Like We have a small retail vertical, an industrial vertical, a master plan housing community vertical, an office development vertical a office acquisition vertical, multifamily, but using our hometown to build out the technology, build out the platform. And with these new you know, funds and REITs and all the institutional capital flying in, we're expanding across the Sun Belt into technology hub cities like Phoenix and Nashville and Raleigh yep. and Tampa, St. Pete, Atlanta, Georgia, and, and Dallas, and all the cities that have strong technology growth that are being that are kind of capitalizing on the exodus from the east and the west coast yeah and and austin was our you know was our test case so this first you know call it you know a few billion bucks was just kind of our trial run and you know i'm a 38 year old ceo like you said so i got nothing but time yeah we're both 38 bro it's crazy yeah man so have you heard of lehigh utah Look, check that out too, Lehigh. They I like, love Salt Lake City, Utah, man. Salt yeah. Lake City, Utah is banging. I love Portland. It's not in my in my thesis because I like to be, like I said, the Sun Belt Southern. is really where my main focus is, and you got to mm-hmm. kind of make decisions of where you're going to be, where you're not. But I love Utah. I love Salt Lake City. I love the culture. Love Portland. You know, like cities like that that have a real have a real culture, like Nashville. You know, yeah. like Austin. You know that have you know young demographics that are growing, but there's a, there's a lot of great cities, and I love Texas, obviously within the Golden Triangle. I'm not too too hot on Houston, but I love the suburban areas of Houston, like Katy and the Woodlands, and yeah. some of those small smaller municipalities. But definitely trying to stay out of the flood zone and you know, try to stay out of you know our joke is we don't say the H word in, in my office, you know. <laughs> So where do you see the opportunity in the next 12 to 24 months? Multi, I think multifamily is just going to be gangbusters. And I'll give you yeah. one piece of one piece of data that, you know, that, you know, you can almost end on is they did a census study on individuals aged 18 to 29. Okay. 53% of them are living at home. It's the highest number in history, more than the Great Depression, more than the Great Recession. And so to me, that's shadow demand. So, you know, when mom and dad get sick and tired of Billy and Jane kind of, you know, living at the house, they're not putting them in the high rises in downtown Nashville or in downtown Dallas, you know, whatever you want to say, they're going to go to these smaller vintage, you know, complexes that are safe, renovated, and what we call the $5 Uber ride. So if there were a $5 Uber ride of all the fun stuff you can get more value. So we believe this thesis of really loading up on, you know, under 120 doors, which is kind of smaller than what private equity will look at, but larger than what local investors can afford. When you aggregate those together, 
the big funds will pay massive, massive premiums for price point, geographic, price point, geographic diversity. And so, and that's been really our thesis is just work harder than the next person, you know, do the deals that, you know, people really haven't looked at. And if you look at this type of product from the Sunbelt, there's between 40 to $50 billion worth of that product that's never been touched by private equity. And that's my target. My target is to buy as much of it as we can and renovate them, create value, lower the expense ratios, increase rents prudently using you know the creative financing that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and HUD have, are offering and bundle them together, sell them and keep some for the kids and just keep it running. But I love the process, man. This is who I am. Like this is not it's not my job. It was just about bread. I'd have been done a long time ago. You yeah. know, I have everything I could ever want in my life. Like I I'm the kid that wasn't supposed to make it. You know, seven years of speech therapy, community colleges and you know, we're blessed every day that you know, we can give our kids the life that, that we didn't have. And so, but for me, this is just who I am. Like I, you know, in the, in the, in the famous words of P Diddy, can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> it's just who you are, bro. It's how you are. I yeah, can't but... stop if I tried. Last question, bro. Or last two questions. I know we talked about technology. Where does that interface with your company and your strategy and just are you investing in startups or it's, it's a, yeah, kind of walk me through that. No, I'm building it. I'm building technology. Oh, you're building any. a proprietary software. I'm building a lot of proprietary software. So I have a piece of technology that's coming out in the next 60 days called transparency. And transparency will quite literally bring investor relations into the 21st century. What do I mean by that? You know, if you're investing in one of our apartment buildings, as an example, you'll go to our private mobile applications, fully encrypted, that has a plug into your investor portal. And with live Nest Cams, multimedia, and a variety of modalities, you'll be able to watch the renovations in real time. Wow. That's so cool. literally, people will know, like if you're a trustee on a pension board, or if you know, you're a wealthy family office, or a doctor, or an athlete, and you want to just see one night, you're sitting at dinner, talking to your wife, or hanging with your boys, like, hey, I wonder what's going on with blah, 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 that I put you know, a million bucks into. You don't got to call me, or you don't got to wait for your quarterly report. You just get in the app, and you scroll through it like an Instagram, and you're watching unit 107 get renovated you're watching the floors get put in you're watching you know previous videos shot two weeks ago of a unit being completed and you know really bringing that clarity to a deliberately opaque business that you know that they don't really share with you as much as i think they should and transparency is that transparency plus fairness equals transparency transparency Will other companies be have access to it, like a LoopNet or type deal? Or, you yeah, know? we're gonna we're gonna white label it. I built it for me, you know, mm-hmm. first and foremost, and we're gonna, you know, we spent a bunch of money to put it together in our R and D department, and you know, have a ton of patents and trademarks and things that we're we're working on. But I built the beta test, but eventually it'll be a white labeled solution that you know your firm, as an example, could take it, and it would be your company name, and at the bottom, and a little teeny writing say "Powered by Transparency." So. Yep. I built it to definitely take it to anybody that manages outside capital, whether financial advisors, VCs, public companies, real estate companies, doesn't matter. But but it was a piece of innovation that needed to happen that I needed for me. And I needed it out of necessity. So I built it. And if nobody ever used it, I don't care. I'm going to use it. Great. And are you going to, yeah, at some point you have beta testers? Yeah. And we, it, it's done and it'll, it'll start beta in 30 days and we'll use it on our existing with our existing platform. And then we'll probably bring in 15 to 20 people 
in the industry to to also play with it, mess with it, ask questions, break it apart, then work on version two, three, four, and iterate it. But like I said, you know, if you look at history, all the greatest innovations have come out of necessity, and this is something that just needed to happen. Yep. Put your Aggie brother on the list, man. I'd love to help you beta that for sure. I got you. And anything I can help you with, you let me know and yep. you, you can get to me directly. And I'm I'm just now learning social media. I'm learning all this stuff. My little brother told me the other day I had a verified Instagram account. I didn't even know what that meant. So <laughs> you know, a little you know, a little behind in the times there, but but you know, you can Google my name and or you know, reach out to my team and yeah, I already got your contact info, bro. Even I do, I'm I'm there to help you, man. I'd love to yep. see all feed, and I know you will. Yeah, we're gonna kill it together. So, any final thoughts for my my audience? Thank you for being on the podcast. Any final thoughts you want to leave everybody with? Yeah, just go do it. Yeah, yeah, be like Nike. I, although yeah. I'm more of a checks over stripes kind of guy, I'm more of an Adidas <laughs> guy. But and you'll know why in about a month or so specifically. I got yep. something kind of in the works in Adidas that I can't talk about just yeah. yet. But Keep down the DL. But there's a lot of people that are listening that have ideas of wanting to do stuff or think they don't have enough money or think that it's not the right time or whatever limiting beliefs or thoughts they have. And, you know, they didn't have less than you and I, right? You know, yep. you know, I was an awkward kid with a speech impediment that was from immigrant parents. Like, you know, super bar rent was 180 bucks a month, you know, when I was a kid growing up. So if a dumb kid like me can go build this and have that determination to go get it done. I promise you people listening are a lot smarter than us. And my hope for them is to go out and just go do it because, you know, they have a special gift like we all do that nobody else has. And I want them to go out there and go, go fucking get it. And if there's anything I can ever do to help or, or anything of the sort, like I'm in a place in my life where I'd like to share those jewels. And if I can help, I will, I doubt I could, but if I could, I'm, I'm here. Man, love it, bro. Well, thank you so much, man. It's always great connecting with another Aggie alumni, man. Thank you so much for your time. Much love, man. Take care. I'll be in touch soon. When we come to Austin, I'm going to come see you. Oh, you do, man. You'll be my guest. All right. See you, brother. You got it. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Please subscribe on whichever platform you are listening and consider leaving a five-star review as that will help us gain traction and continue to bring you knowledge in the real estate industry. For more content, head over to terrencemurphy.com.